Okay, good to go. Genesis chapter 26. There was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac dwelt in Gerar. And the men of the place asked about his wife, and he said, She is my sister. For he was afraid to say, She is my wife, because he thought, Lest the men of the place kill me for Rebekah, because she is beautiful to behold. Now it came to pass, when he had been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through a window and saw, and there was Isaac showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, Quite obviously, she is your wife. So how could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I said, lest I die on account of her. And Abimelech said, What is this that you have done to us? One of the people might soon have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt on us. So Abimelech charged all his people, saying, He who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, and they had filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. Then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. He called them by the names which his father had called them. Also, Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Esek, because they quarreled with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that one also. So he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, because he said, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Then he went up from there to Beersheba. <coughs> Excuse me. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, 
I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord, and he pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. Then Abimelech came to him from Gerar with a bunch of people whose names I cannot pronounce, and Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? But they said, We have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. So we said, Let there be now an oath between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm, <coughs> since we have not touched you, and since we have done nothing to you but good, and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast and they ate and drank. Then they arose early in the morning and swore an oath with one another, and Isaac sent them away, and they departed from him in peace. It came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well which they had dug, and said to him, We have found water. So he called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba. To this day, we'll stop there. Let's open with prayer, Lord. I thank you for giving us the word of God and for these accounts of the great men of faith, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I pray that your spirit would teach us this morning from Isaac that we might learn what it is to grow in faith. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is a familiar passage, isn't it? like Yogi Berra said, it's deja vu all over again. We have already seen this exact same thing. Abraham went to this exact same place, lived with the exact same people, and did the exact same stupid thing. He told everybody that Sarah, Sarai at that point, I think, uh, was his sister. And the results of that dumb act were the exact same as what they are here. In the end, Isaac becomes odious to the people around him. And it starts when he starts by telling them a lie and saying, she's my sister, she's not my wife. Why? You know, you, Isaac was probably old enough to be aware of what was going on when Abraham did the same thing. Why did he imitate this? You know, it's one thing I need to point out here. Okay, back up from that. A lot of people like to say, oh, the Old Testament is just Jewish propaganda. You know, they wrote all these books about how they're the chosen people and all of this stuff, and they're just trying to, you know, glorify the Jewish nation. If you were writing propaganda, would you put this in twice? <laughs> God put this in so that we can learn how not to act as well as how to act. You know, we think of Abraham and as Isaac, these, they are the fathers of our faith. They were men of great faith. So what happened here? This isn't this business of saying she's my sister. Why did he do that? In verse 7, we're told, For he was afraid. Isaac was afraid. I think that is our first take-home point this morning, is that fear is the enemy of God's people. 
when we become afraid, we stop trusting God. And we start looking for crazy ways that we ourselves can get ourselves out of this situation, just as Isaac does here. He became afraid, and consequently, he forgot to trust God. God wasn't, God had just told him, I'm going to give you so many descendants, you won't be able to count them. I'm going to give you this whole land. Is, is God then going to let these men kill him? No, of course not. But Isaac gave in to the fear of men, and that is the enemy of God's people. He calls us, you know, I, one of these days I want to do a uh, word study uh, on the words fear not. I want to see how many times it says in the Bible, fear not, because it's repeated a lot. Jesus told his disciples, do you know? Okay. I'd like to hear it. I'm sorry, what? Okay. I'll, I'll touch base with you after. You can tell me about it. What was I saying? Fear not. Fear is the enemy of God's people. And, God, and Jesus commanded his disciples repeatedly, fear not. When we give in to fear, we stop trusting God. And we try to solve our problems on our own strength. Now, it's interesting that this Isaac here that we're reading about, this is the same Isaac who walked up Mount Moriah with his father. This is the same Isaac whom we consider a father of our faith. And yet what we see here is not very impressive. This is not a man of faith here. But let's go back to Abraham for a moment. That same Abraham who walked up Mount Moriah, I mean... God said to him, I want you to kill your son, your son whom you love. And he obeyed. Why? Because Abraham fully believed, he had no doubt at that time in his life, that God fully intended to raise Isaac back up from the dead after Abraham killed him. He believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. But... That Abraham, we meet him in chapter 12, and Genesis gives us 10 chapters of Abraham's life, starting in chapter 12, where God comes to him in Haran and says, I want you to leave your father and his family, take just your wife, and go to a land that I will show you. Now, he acted in faith, and he mostly obeyed, but he took his nephew Lot with him, who he wasn't supposed to take with him. He is a very imperfect man. This is the beginning of Abraham's walk of faith with God. And then you get the next 10 chapters where he's going up Mount Moriah, and that is the great man of faith that we want to be like. But Isaac was, you know, I used to, I read somewhere years and years ago that Isaac was probably about 14 at the time of Mount Moriah. But I got thinking about it this week. That can't be right. Because he carried the firewood up the mountain for Abraham. Now, I, I hesitate to even say the following words because they're so disgusting. But if you plan to burn a human body, you need a big fire. He had a lot of firewood that he had to carry up the mountain. 
That's a big guy. Some of the commentaries I looked at suggested that he was in his 20s, which honestly I think is more likely. So we'll say that Isaac is about 20 at the time he goes up Mount Moriah with Abraham. Okay, so that means Abraham is 120. When God came to him in Haran, he was about 75. That's a period of 45 years, sorry. I need a calculator to do that. 45, right? Okay. Thanks, buddy. That's a period of 45 years. Abraham has been walking with God for 45 years. And if you read through those 10 chapters, there is a lot that has happened in those 45 years to take Abraham from the guy, from Abram, who's leaving Haran, to the Abraham who is going up Mount Moriah convinced that God is going to keep his word to him. 45 years. The interesting in this thing in this chapter is there is a large period of time in this chapter. We don't know how long, but it's a period of years. This chapter is kind of like that old stuff we used to call time-lapse photography. Remember those things where they'd show you a, you know, a thing sprouting up out of the ground and pretty soon it blooms into a full flower and it takes like a minute, but actually in reality it took months for it to happen. That's what we're seeing here. This chapter is time-lapse photography on the maturing of Isaac. So we start out at the beginning here where he's, he fears and bad things happen as a result. And then finally, the men tell him to go away. Oh, by the way, Abimelech, I think Abimelech is a title, I think. I think it's like Pharaoh. This is the same place, Gerar, where Abraham went, and he met with Abimelech there. But I think it's a different guy. I don't think it could be the same one that Abraham met. But Abimelech finally sends him away. So another period of undetermined time transpires here, and he starts by digging wells. It takes, well, I've never done it, so I can't speak from experience, but digging a well, I think, takes a long time. It's got to be a period of months. Now, he has a whole lot of servants and followers in the same way as Abraham had. Um, by the time uh, he and Lot separate, Abraham had enough followers that he could put together an army and go to war on behalf of the king of um, Sodom. So Isaac apparently has a similar situation with lots of guys, and so many hands make light work and all that, so maybe it wasn't that long. But digging a well is hard work. Digging is, I had my, my cat died in December after 18 years, which was an emotional thing. I'm able to talk about it without blubbering now, but I was pretty upset. But I had to dig a grave for her. And I was reminded of the old joke, on the eighth day, God threw rocks at Connecticut. The same is true in Rhode Island. You can't dig an inch without hitting rocks in this area. And if you've ever done any gardening, you know how that is. So digging a well, that's huge. It's hugely important in that culture. When a man digs a well, what he is effectively saying is, this is my piece of land. I'm staying here. 
I'm not just passing through. I'm putting down roots. I'm going to dig a well. Later, he'll build an altar. We're going to build our homes here. We're staying. This is our land. And so this is why the Philistines are upset by that. Because they're looking at this, this group of people, which is amounting to the beginnings of a nation, an army. And they're saying, these guys are more powerful than we are. We can't have them moving in here. And so Isaac and his men spend all this time, all this effort, digging a well so that they can stay here. And overnight, their enemies come in and fill it back in again. Now, most men would have been upset by that. Uh, some people might even have responded in violence. He's got an army. Why are you letting them do this? But Isaac's response is to say, okay, all right, we'll go somewhere else. So they move off. Same thing happens again. This is over a period of, it's got to be years that this is going on. And he's dealing with these enemies who are filling in his hard work and destroying it again and again. This is hardship that we are seeing Isaac going through here. And finally, in verse 22, finally he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. The first well he names Esek. Esek means quarreling. The second one he names Sitna, which means hatred. So, just from these names alone, we can get a good idea here that this is a very unpleasant, difficult time for Isaac. He's dealing with enemies who hate him, whose every characteristic in their trait is argument, quarrels, and hatred. And finally, in verse 22, they dug a well that they did not quarrel over, so he called it Rehoboth because he said, for now, the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. In verse 7, Isaac is afraid, so he tells a lie. In verse 22, Isaac says, God is going to bless us here. God is going to root us here. God is going to give us this land, and make us multiply. By verse 22, Isaac has become a man of faith. And he is now testifying to the world around him, God gave me this promise, and I believe it. He will make it happen. And we are now starting to see the beginning of that. So in this short passage, Isaac has grown tremendously in his faith in God, in believing that God keeps his promises. Now, Beersheba, that's where Abraham had lived for many years. And so he, he digs this well that he calls Beersheba, but then he goes up to the place called Beersheba. And why, by doing that, this is a really important thing that Isaac is doing. It's sort of a gesture. He is saying publicly, I am now inheriting the legacy of Abraham. As Abraham my father was, now so shall I be. As God poured out blessing upon blessing on my father Abraham, so he is now doing to me. But most important of all, 
God made an oath to my father Abraham, and now he will be faithful to that oath with me. God will keep his promise to Abraham through me. This is a very important point in Isaac's life here, where he is publicly declaring, yes, I believe. I believe that God will keep his promises to me. And immediately, where are we? In verse 24? Hmm. Verse 25, immediately, what's his first action? He builds an altar. Isaac's faith has grown and his maturity has increased. And now he builds the first act that he does when he moves into Beersheba is to worship God. And he builds an altar there and pitched his tent there and dug a well there. And then the Lord appeared to him immediately on the same night in verse 24. The Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. Do not fear. I am with you. What do you have to be afraid of? No one can do anything to you unless that person has my permission. I am with you. Do not fear. Now, the name Beersheba means well of an oath. Now, it could be that uh, Isaac had in mind when he named his well Beersheba, could have been thinking about the oath that he made with Abimelech for the two peoples to live in peace, but I don't think so. I think what he has in mind is the oath that God spoke to Abraham and now has reiterated to Isaac. The interesting thing is the oath with Abimelech, that was a two-party oath. They both swore an oath. I won't hurt you, you won't hurt me. But the oath with Abraham was a one-party oath. God said to him, I'm going to do this. Just, that's it. You don't have to do anything. I'm going to do it all. That's the beauty of what Jesus has done for us. We're going to come back to this idea, but I I just got to say it in passing. He promised he's going to make me like his son. And can it be, I shall be like thy son? It's a wonderful hymn. What's my part in that? Nothing. There is nothing I can do to make me like Jesus Christ. He is doing it all. We're going to come back to that. Because there is a process by which he does that. What we see here is Isaac growing into a man of faith who believes God's word. Who says, God said it. Therefore, he will do it. And that is all there is to it. But it's a process. For Abraham, it took 45 years. For Isaac, we don't know how long this time period here is. But it's a period of years. And what is occurring in those years? Hardship and suffering and conflict. His enemies, he's digging wells. That's hard work. And his enemies are coming and filling him in again and again. This is hardship. Turn to James chapter 1.
James 1, beginning in verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, James does not say, brethren, have fun when you are suffering. He says, count it all joy. It's not a joyful thing to be suffering. But what he is saying here, Paul says it much more um, clearly. He says, you keep your eye on the prize. You remember what we are going to in the times of suffering and hardship. Do not be afraid. That's what Isaac's initial knee-jerk response was, to be afraid. I've got to fix this problem. Do not be afraid. Focus on counting it joy when you are suffering various trials. Why? Because one day we shall be like Christ. Inconceivable as it is, we keep our eyes on the prize. I remember... Um, any of you that remember uh, Bill Gothard? I used to go to the Bill Gothard seminars many years ago. And he would give you this button. And it was just a bunch of letters, but it meant, please be patient with me. God is not finished with me yet. And what James is saying here is, when you fall into trials, when you undergo suffering, hardship, sadness, what have you, illness, it demonstrates that God is still at work in your life. It demonstrates that God is keeping his promise to you of making you more like his son, Jesus Christ. Hardship and suffering and setbacks, assuming we don't bring them on ourselves. James talks about that later in this chapter. There are times we can bring trouble on ourselves. Isaac did. We saw it. He brought his, uh, himself into trouble by telling a lie. But even then, God was using that to increase Isaac's faith. And in the same way, James says, hardships and trials, they're testing your faith. They're improving your faith. They're teaching you to grow in your faith that God keeps his promises, that God is still at work in your life. Yes, it can hurt, but the goal for us is the same as the goal was for Abraham. Become a man of faith. Become a man like Abraham, whose faith in God was so great that he went up Mount Moriah intending to kill his son because he knew in his heart, he knew in his soul that God had made him a promise for a future generation through Isaac, and therefore God was going to keep that word, somehow raising his son back from the dead. And God accounted it to him as righteousness. Isaac grew into a man of faith who publicly testifies, I believe that God keeps his promises. And James is encouraging us to do the same thing. Grow into men and women of faith who believe to the root of our soul, God keeps his promises. Let's just close in prayer. Lord, I thank you for the examples that you have given us of great men of the faith. But Lord, I thank you for Jesus Christ. The one man who utterly obeyed the Father. 
and now sits on high, and all authority is given unto him. Lord, I pray that you would help me to remember to trust you and not to be afraid, but to grow my trust and my utter belief that you keep your promises. And pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.